Hello, and welcome to the Smart Karma Podcast. I'm Michael Tegos. Every week on the podcast, we share a presentation and discussion from our webinar Wednesdays, when we sit down with Smart Karma insight providers and selected experts from around the world to break down the key topics you care about in Asia's markets. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and so on. If you like what we do, consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your chosen podcast app, as this really helps more people discover the show. Thank you for being with us, and enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another webinar by Smart Karma. I'm Michael Tegos. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming back to the webinar analyst Ankit Agrawal, who will share and elaborate on three high-conviction ideas from the Indian market across sectors and market caps. Ankit is the founder and CIO of Yellowstone Equity, a firm providing unbiased and independent research on Indian equities. He was previously on the buy side with Howland Wrestling and InvestCorp. Uh, and now for the session itself. Ankit, uh, thank you very much for joining us today. The floor is yours. Thank you, Michael. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining in today's webinar. I'll be discussing some of my high conviction ideas from the Indian markets. Specifically, I'll be talking about three companies from three different sectors and across market caps. So let me begin. All right. So just some disclaimers and disclosures before we move forward. For all the companies that uh, I'll be discussing today, I have a long position in them in my personal account. Please also note that I'm a SEBI registered research analyst. Also noteworthy is that uh, my relatives, my associates, my clients could also have long positions in the names that I'm going to discuss today. Uh, so please be mindful of any biases. Thank you. Uh, with that, let me just uh, get into it. So the first idea is a mid-cap idea. It's a company called KPIT Technologies. It's in the IT, se- it's in the IT sector with a market cap of $2 billion. I've been covering this company for a couple of years now on Smart Karma platform. It's been quite a success for us. It's It's been eight to 10 times uh, since our initial uh, note in mid of 2020. And we think there's a lot of potential in it from here as well. So basically KPIT provides engineering research and development services to automotive OEMs and tier one companies. It focuses mainly on integration, verification and validation services. And it's quite dominant in the space as it uh, serves uh, top 12 of the 15, top 15 automotive OEMs in the industry. Uh, it's also backed by a very high quality management that is a proven execution track record, long-term orientation, good governance, and prudent capital allocation so far. So what is uh, basically integration? Like how does KPIT help the clients? So KPIT basically is an integration partner. Whenever OEMs have this uh, production programs, they have a integration partners and a KPIT is an integration partner on the software side where it helps its OEM clients to integrate various components at the software level. Uh, basically, OEMs like BMW would be receiving components from so many vendors. Uh, there is a middleware layer through which all of these components interact with each other and integrate. So that is where KPIT comes in and provides uh, its services. We are super excited about KPIT's potential because we think there are significant tailwinds in the industry. KPIT focuses mainly on CASE technologies, which are new age technologies for making a car smarter. CASE is an acronym for Connected, Autonomous, Smart, and Electric. We see a lot of high growth trend for 
in the space for the next decade and probably next two decades just like our phones which were quite physical a couple of decades back are much more software driven much more intelligent much more smart today cars are going through that phase where the initial traction has been already there cars are becoming more and more intelligent but i think the next couple of de- decades particularly the next decade is going to be super defining and that's why it's very it's a kpid is a very interesting opportunity specific to kpid's integration and verification services uh, the to- total addressable market is as large as 14 billion dollars currently and it's set to expand to 34 billion dollars by 2030 as per mckinsey also uh, with the increasing needs for computation the architecture inside a car is also becoming more centralized uh, which means uh, there will be like a supercomputer at the cent- one supercomputer at the center which will integrate with everything else which means the need for integration are going to be only increasing as we as the uh, complexity increases just to share where where the car is headed towards Uh, as as can be seen like there's so many different features across automation diagnostics etc are being added to the car it's it, it wouldn't be a surprise over the time to to term car as a future computer on wheels uh, just to compare the complexity like a iphone has just a single processor a modern high end car would have 100 plus processors four different net- network technologies 8 to 10 networks and given the kind of reliability and safety that we would need on a real time basis the performance standards and the complexity is going to be significantly higher than any other kind of devices electronic software that we have seen so far uh, one line of metric through which we can probably measure complexity is the number of lines of code and a modern high end car already is looking to have 100 million lines of code and it's only go upwards to 300 million as we add more sophisticated features like autonomous driving etc uh, this compares with 15 million for android so just gives you a flavor of the complexity that's going to be there uh, in a car why kpit i mean we think the competitive advantages that kpit has is very strong two in particular is important to note one is the network effects another is the switching costs uh network effects because kpit is associated with most of the oems in the industry so as an integration partner that's a huge advantage because as an integration partner you should be well aware of the integrities of the ecosystem that each client has and how it interacts with the rest of the uh vendors and big kpit being associated with most of the industry it knows the industry in and out so has a lot of expertise on the auto side and software side uh which is a huge entry barrier for its competitors the cost of kpid services relative to the overall r&d budgets in which it participates is uh, relatively low which means the end customers of kpid are not as price sensitive the switching costs are high because for any new vendor the learning curve is steep it takes a while to learn the ecosystem and also a new vendor is more prone to making errors but in a car where this is like the services that kpid is providing is of mission critical nature where defect free implementation reliability and safety are paramount the clients are not going to risk uh, hiring a new vendor they're going to stick with existing vendor so kpid has huge advantages from high switching costs for its client and given kpid's strong track record of defect free implementation uh, its moats are only strengthening
from a valuation perspective, of course, optically, KPID is trading at 50 times price to earnings, 10 times price to book, which are high, which is high. But uh, the earnings growth potential is significant. We estimate that over the next three years, KPID's pet could go to 650 crores versus last 12 months of 275 crores. Over the longer run, like by FY30, we estimate the uh, the earnings could be as high as 700 crore plus. So multifold expansion on earnings is expected, and therefore we think the valuation is reasonable. Uh, we think this earnings growth will be driven by first uh, KPID's market share to uh, more than double, triple from current levels, and EBITDA margin also seeing expansion to 24-25% levels from current 18% plus levels. Also, KPID being associated with OEMs at the program level, not at the project level, uh, means that KPID enters into long-term contracts. So there is a lot of revenue visibility. And also because these programs keep on renewing every few years, uh, there's a lot of uh, recurring revenue visibility also there for KPID. So we think the valuations are reasonable. Catalyst-wise, continued R&D investments in case technologies, given there is so much competition from disruptors, uh, I think the traditional OEMs are are heavily focused on adopting case technologies. The disruptors have been always pioneers and been also equally spending on R&D. So uh, all in all, the R&D budgets are not going to be strapped and the R&D spending is going to be high. So it should help KPIT. Another underrated catalyst is adoption by CVs of case technologies. We think, uh, you know, passenger vehicles, uh, when they adopt case technologies, they get comfort and convenience. But for commercial vehicles, uh, I think the economics of adopting case technologies could be significant for the commercial vehicle owners. And uh, we think the adoption in CVs could be quite significant. KPIT is already seeing good traction, in, uh, initial traction. And I mean, it's already associated with a lot of good CV OEMs. And we, we think this is, uh, that this, this presents a good optionality for growth in the future years. Also, we expect a continual shift to offshore, uh, which should help in uh, help the margins. From a risks perspective, I think uh, one risk worth, worth highlighting is that uh, some of the OEMs may insource some of the services that KPIT is providing by establishing captive offshore centers. But so far, I mean, this trend hasn't been that promising. So we think, and given KPIT's uh, strong track record, I think uh, uh, it's not a big risk at the moment. Also, EV adop- adoption could decelerate given uh, if in case uh, battery technology evo- evolution is lagging behind or maybe a renewables adoption decline as given the current energy crisis. So some of, some of this could happen, but I think right now we're quite uh, overall, the environment looks super optimistic for uh, the industry and KPIT's competitive positioning in it. So next idea is a small cap idea. The company is Healthcare Global. It's in healthcare sector with a market cap of $500 million. Uh, healthcare Global is basically a pan-India cancer-focused hospital chain. It's uh, it's a market leader in most of the reg- regions where it's present. It's uh, led by a, a intelligent, fanatic oncologist, uh, Dr. B.S. Ajay Kumar, who has uh, 40 years of experience in the cancer care domain. His first 20 years were spent at MD Anderson, where he was a leading oncologist in US. And MD Anderson is one of the world's most renowned cancer centers 
back then and even today so he brings a lot of experience and he's extremely passionate about oncology and has done a tremendous job at uh, establishing healthcare global as a pan india chain from almost nothing couple of decades back uh, during covid hcg also onboarded a reputed private equity firm cvc capital as a majority shareholder i think couple of years ago we initiated coverage on healthcare global right after cvc capital announced an acquisition in healthcare global at the time we presented it as an both an event driven idea and a fundamental idea for long term investors as well and since then it has played out well it has been almost two and a half times since our initiation and from a event driven perspective cvc is open offer provided 7 to 8% gross spread for over 2 3 months which also played out well at the time we continue to like the company significantly as i mentioned it's a market lead it has significant market leadership in in the regions it is present it's present across seven eight major states of india where almost everywhere it is number one player in cancer care even if we compare it to some of its larger peers like uh, apollo max which are pan india hospital chains from a cancer focused perspective hcg leads by a wide margin even in terms of revenue mix it is got a significant contribution from cancer care from my industry tailwinds perspective we uh, again we we are quite bullish on the space as cancer incidence is growing rapidly in india uh, while demand is growing the supply high quality supply infrastructure is limited so also the technology advancements in the space are happening quite rapidly which we think is uh, good for xcg because over time the larger players will be better positioned to adopt technology and uh, this uh, the the rise of technology will lead to industry consolidation also india is rising as a medical tourism destination uh, given the quality the outcomes healthcare outcomes are similar to what developed world is delivering uh, but the cost is significantly lower in india so just to highlight some of the growth in cancer incidence in india uh, you know there's there's been significant under reporting and under diagnosis so far but uh, this is improving and so the cancer incidences reported are on the on the climb also with lifestyle changes such as increased consumption of alcohol uh, increased consumption of processed foods growing air pollution and all that is leading to higher incidences of cancer even from a demographic perspective although india is a young demographic country uh, given its large population the, the population above 50 years of age is as large as 250 million plus and so uh, the market size is huge for serving cancer care um, the diagnosis gap is also narrowing while the demand side is uh, strong we think that uh, the supply side Uh, constraints remain there are only limited number of linex and pet city machines in the country if we compare to the developed world in terms of uh, per million of population india lags behind and uh, uh, so i think uh, established players like hcg will see a lot of demand the industry itself is likely to grow at early double digits so there's a lot of growth potential for hcg from a competitive positioning point of view hcg has created a strong brand over the past couple of decades by delivering high quality cancer care it has been able to attract top talent because of that it has uh, uh, some of its uh, 
its healthcare outcomes have been measured by reputed institutions like Harvard, which concluded that uh, the outcomes are similar to what the developed world, uh, best of the best hospitals are delivering. But at the same time, the cost that HCG is delivering at is one fifth to one seventh of that in the developed world. So as I mentioned earlier also, I mean, India is rising as a medical tourism destination and HCG has a role to play in it. It's already receiving good international footfalls and it's only likely to grow from there. Also, HCG has been at the forefront of, of adopting new technologies like precision medicine, cyber knife, robotic surgeries, and which is helping it deliver high-end specialized surgeries as well. HCG also has a unique hub and spoke model where the sourcing of various resources happen at the centralized level through the hub. Uh, but that at the same time, through its spokes, it is closer to its uh, customers, to its patients, uh, so that they can be delivered quality care in a cost and time effective manner. Also, the spoke model allows HCG to source customers from uh, deeper regions of India. From a valuation perspective, HCG is available at less than five times price to book. So we think uh, relative to some of the peers like Narayan Rudaila and Apollo, uh, which are trading at 10 times price to book. HCG is available at a cheaper valuation. Also from an absolute perspective, absolute valuation perspective, I think it's cheap. HCG has a lot of upside potential that is expected to reach uh, 170 crore plus by FY25. So basically, and based on our exit P multiple of 35 times, we think uh, it can have a market cap of 6,000 crores. Uh, by FI25, which means there is potential for 16% plus IRR over the next three years. From a catalyst perspective, I think uh, as uh, HCG is adopting newer and newer technologies, the mix of specialized surgeries is going up, which is going to help uh, the margins and the revenue profile. Elective surgeries and international footfalls are also coming back with uh, post-COVID normalization, with no new centers coming up and uh, the newer centers maturing. The overall mix is improving, helping the prof profitability. Also with changes over the past couple of years, capital allocation is becoming more disciplined. So I think uh, overall uh, the prospects look quite attractive. Some risks to be mindful of. Uh, obviously cancer care is a high growth area and uh, a lot of hospitals, uh, Pan-India hospital chains are also targeting it. Uh, they've been establishing uh, dedicated cancer centers, dedicated cancer departments. So the competition is rising, but I think the demand supply gap is still high. So I think there is room for all the players to grow significantly. Uh, there's also continuous CAPEX requirement for adoption of new technology, which, uh, which could put pressure on return on equities. But uh, I think FCG has adopted uh, interesting models of paper use to be more asset light on this front. Another risk is uh, while capital allocation uh, discipline has come over the past couple of years, if HCG goes on an expansion spree to imitate the competition, capital allocation dis discipline could suffer. So this is also one area to watch for, watch out for. So the third and final idea is a large cap idea. It's a company called Bajaj Finance. Uh, it's in the financial sector with a market cap of around $48 billion. Bajaj Finance is a dominant cons consumer financier of India. It's a market leader in financing consumer durables and electronics, digital products. It's also on, uh, now a very strong player in the housing market. 
and it's been expanding its product portfolio, its operations. It's almost like a bank-like setup within an NBFC kind of structure. And with its digitization initiatives, it's also a formidable uh, fintech player to watch out for. Just to highlight the product suite, uh, BAF has an interesting history. It started as a captive financier out of the Bajaj group, uh, mainly financing two-wheeler and three-wheeler loans. It then expanded to consumer durable loans and tied up with a lot of uh, point-of-sale distribution channels. Uh, and since then, it has acquired uh, customer base rapidly and has been cross-selling a variety of products now. It's amazing what they've done uh, so far uh, uh, with the kind of product innovation and uh, the kind of product suite that they have developed and the customer base uh, they have uh, nurtured. A lot of industry tailwinds uh, for financials in India, especially for the credit-focused uh, financials. India is a high GDP growth country. And with credit under penetration, the credit growth is going to be uh, going to grow at a multiple of the normal GDP growth. Uh, we also expect industry consolidation to happen. There are too many large NBFCs and banks currently, and we think over the time, uh, seven to la- seven to ten large players will do majority of the business, and uh, the industry consolidation will probably benefit Bajaj Finance, uh, being a large player. Financialization of savings, digitization of payments are some other areas where there's significant growth and uh, which could further provide a robust uh, fee income uh, avenue. In terms of uh, competitive advantages, BAF has done an amazing job of uh, developing data-based analytics on its customer base and developing underwriting capabilities. It has across cycles uh, so far, it has done well in maintaining asset quality and uh, its distribution presence with a focus on point of sale channel has been quite dominant. It continues to uh, have 68 to 70% market share across consumer durables, electronics, uh, even across digital products, its market share is as high as uh, 58-60%. It has been, uh, the management team has been very agile and have done continued product innovation to provide growth through cross-sell avenues. And uh, even from a capital allocation, it has been quite nimble and prudent. As a financier, low-cost funds is key. And uh, Bajaj Finance has a lot of advantages, being uh, having a Bajaj parentage, having AAA credit rating, and have a good deposit, deposit franchise uh, helps uh, Bajaj Finance to keep the cost of funds low. So again, with the BAF, you know, optically the valuations are high. 50 times price to earnings, 8 to 10 times price to book. But I think the visibility, the growth visibility is quite high. The industry itself is likely to grow in double digits, early double digits digits for next two, three decades. And given BAF is an nascent player with just less than 2% market share, we think uh, it has a long way to go. So I think... uh, our estimates suggest that FY23, it could do earnings of 11,000 crore plus. So it's available at less than 35 times uh, price to earnings. And we think it has an upside potential of uh, 80 to 100% from year on. So from a catalyst perspective, we think some of the near-term catalysts are that could be normalization of COVID provisioning of as high as 500 crore plus, uh, which could add to FY23 pet estimates. 
further normalization of liquidity has happened in April. And so we think the Q1 FY23 earnings is going to reflect that favorably. Also, the BAF is in an investment mode. It has been continuously expanding into new geographies and with a lot of new digital channels launched recently, we think the cross-sell opportunity is huge and could provide significant high growth in the next few years to come. From a risk perspective, I think the key one is regulatory arbitrage being coming down with RBI scrutinizing large NBFCs more and more. I think uh, recently there was a circular which formalized some of the convergence of regular, regulatory arbitrage between large banks and large NBFCs and banks. So that is that is a key area to watch out for. The competitive in- intensity in the industry also remains elevated because uh, there's a lot of liquidity in the system and there's a lot of competition from the banks. Also, the cost to income ratio remains elevated in the medium term, is likely to be elevated in the medium term because uh, uh, BAF is in an investment mode, it's in an expansion mode. So, those are some key risks to keep in mind. With that, I'll conclude my prepared remarks and now I'm open to question and answers. Uh, so, over to you, Michael. Thank you very much for this thorough presentation, Ankit. Uh, this has been very enlightening. Um, Let's see. We have a question from the audience uh, asking, what kind of an upside do you think, or I guess, can you expect for KPIT's market cap in the next three to five years? Uh, we think uh, like uh, we have projected uh, around 650 crores of uh, PAT. And we think uh, like given the growth visibility is so high, I think even from an exit P multiple perspective, it could command like 40, 45 times P. In over next, uh, even at the end of next three to five years. So we think like a market cap of anywhere from 30,000 to 40,000 crore is doable over next uh, three years to five years. Thank you very much for that. Uh, speaking of KPIT, um, given its focus on the automotive sector and, and considering the, the ongoing chip shortage, we just heard, for example, the uh, Intel CEO um, saying that the squeeze on chips would continue maybe, you know, well into 2024. So uh, do you think uh, that there's going to be any short-term impact on the company? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So it's a very pertinent question as well, because, uh, yeah, the, the kind of uh, challenges that the industry is facing is, uh, is uh, quite humongous. Uh, interesting thing about KPIT is that it, it participates more, mostly on the R&D side. So the kind of programs it is working on are those where the real the models are the car models are going to come out three to five years down the line. So basically, like whatever R and D BMW or Mercedes is doing for their upcoming models three to five years down the line are the ones where they're gonna they are doing R and D spends, and that is where KPIT is participating in. So it has no correlation to what the sales are for current uh, uh, in the current environment so basically it has it does not have that cyclical component of auto sales it's mostly dependent on the r&d budgets of uh, the oems uh, that's one part and then the second part about the chip shortages is chip shortages is not affecting them a lot because as i said this is like a more r&d driven program not a very production intensive program uh, and 
in a way, to some extent, even KPID benefited from this chip shortage because uh, in some of the projects, they were able to provide some of the virtualization softwares where the chips were not available for R&D and was able to earn like uh, newer projects uh, with OEM. So it's uh, in a way it helped uh, KPIT. Understood. Thank you for that. And Atsindi asks, what's your view on edge of top class local chain hospitals in the city against companies like uh, Healthcare Global? Right. So I think uh, it's a very good question. Uh, I mean, if we look at... Uh, at the local market level in India, usually, and I think anywhere in the world, you would see that at the local level, people tend to go to star doctors. And uh, it's no different uh, for HCG. I think what happens is for a disease like cancer, you know, you need the right kind of infrastructure to be able to uh, service end to end. And most of the star doctors tend to be associated with one of the hospitals. So the standalone practices in cancer care are limited. Uh, and then, you know, within the competition at the local level, obviously talent uh, matters a lot, but I think HCG being focused on cancer care, they have created a brand for themselves by the name of HCG, not by the name of Star Doctor. Whereas if you go to other hospitals, you tend to go after like a Star Doctor. Uh, but when people come to HCG, they usually associate with the brand HCG rather than the doctor. Having said that, like uh, HCG is a top attractor of the talent of cancer of oncologists in the country. Uh, they have various initiatives. One is they have in-house research initiatives where you know some of the top oncologists they they are not there just to do surgeries and earn money. They also want to do research, interesting research. So HCG does a lot of in-house research, does a lot of publications. They also have fellowship programs to onboard young talent to, to provide higher education. So I think there are a lot, lot of avenues where HCG is able to compete with local hospitals to get the right talent. And that's why it's doing well. Understood. Thank you. Um, another question about uh, HCG. Are the charges, I guess, the, the rates um, very much lower in terms of percentage compared to the likes of Apollo? Are they similar to um, other super specialized hospitals like Arvind hospitals, for example, and charge around 35% of what the large chains charge for such operations? And also, are there any success rate metrics of their treatments? Uh, yeah, so uh, good question. So, yeah, so it's not like uh, Narayan Rudaila or some other hospitals where, uh, you know, the the treatment is cheap, but at the same time, it's also not like super expensive. So it's not like very high end. I would say it's uh, it's in the medium to top range, like depending on the complexity of the surgery. Uh, also, HCG, uh, you know, the these days, like the surgeries are so quick and the recovery is so quick that the average length of stay in the hospital is like less than two days approximately two days. So even for like uh, complicated surgeries, I think three, four days is the maximum. So in terms of uh, average revenue per operating bed, and if you look at the pricing and all, I think the pricing is uh, reasonable. It's uh, the model is not to serve at the cheapest spot, but, but uh, to provide high quality medical care at a reasonable cost. Uh, mostly it's done through insurance. So I, I don't think the model is uh, like a, Narayana Rudaila, where the costs are significantly cheap. 
it's mostly about quality focused but with a value bent is what i would say and in terms of success metrics i mean harvard did a study where they measured the outcomes and uh, they they came with they concluded that uh, the success rate was 87% for breast cancer with hcg and it's i think 89% in some of the best hospitals in the united states so it's on par with the developed world uh, but the cost of uh, doing a breast cancer in india is like uh, less than $3000 uh, whereas uh, in us it's around uh, it's upwards of $20000 so it's uh, significantly cheaper and uh, just to give you a sense of like why it's not following the like a cheap cost model like narayana rudala uh, because you know in cancer the equipments are expensive like when dr ajay kumar came back to india at that time there were two options uh, for radiations one was linac which is linear accelerator and the other one was cobalt radiation therapy cobalt was cheaper linac was like 3 4 times expensive but linac was the right treatment from a longer term uh, sustainable perspective and uh, even though many people advised him against it because people he thought that uh, i mean a lot of people said that people in india won't spend that kind of money uh, but he felt that that was the right treatment and uh, he started with linac and it worked well people were willing to pay two three times higher cost than typical but uh, the quality of treatment was much higher so the the focus is first on quality uh, but at a reasonable price got it thank you very much cbc capital has a, a majority stake in uh, hcg have things changed at all since cbc came on board as a majority shareholder yeah i think uh, that's a uh, that's a good question it's uh, i would say i mean i think cbc it's been like 2 years since cbc came on board i think around mid 2020 is when they acquired a stake in hcg see one of the like couple of issues uh, hcg was struggling with was one it had a very with it had very high debt on the balance sheet uh, second was uh, uh, it was ex- it was in an expansion mode where it had opened a lot of new centers and uh, so the cash flows were somewhat constrained and then covid hit uh, so the cash flows got further constrained so i think uh, management took a good call of bringing in cvc in mid 2020 although we think like it could have gone for 10 15% equity raise and it could have still done well uh, but i think uh, the founder probably also realized that uh, bringing in a private equity player would also bring in a better culture for capital allocation also bring in good uh, uh, operational discipline so since uh, over the last two years there have been a lot of changes the capital allocation has been much more stringent uh, there has been no uh, new expansion announced so no new centers hcg is focusing only on uh, making the most of its uh, current centers right now because there's so much growth potential there itself uh, so that capital allocation discipline is now there uh, a lot of operational improvements have also happened uh, they've also brought in a professional ceo uh, raj gore who has previously worked with the likes of apollo and fortis in top executive roles uh, so he has been also bringing a lot of operational expertise so all in all i think uh, after cbc coming on board i think a lot of things have changed and i think now hcg is uh, well placed over the time it can expand on a more sustainable basis and uh, be more operationally efficient 
Understood, thank you. Uh, perhaps we can take one last question. Uh, An attendee has a question on uh, Bajaj Finance. Uh, do you have a view on buying a holding company uh, like Bajaj uh, FinServe, Bajaj Holdings uh, versus Bajaj Finance itself? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to holding companies versus the direct entity, usually I tend to go after avoid holding companies because uh, the discount holding company discount tends to be uh, there for a long period. Uh, especially where you don't have any catalyst for uh, that to converge. In case of Bajaj Finance particularly, I think the growth visibility is much more clear for credit growth and for Bajaj Finance in particular. And uh, that's why I think uh, playing Bajaj Finance directly is better than a holding company. With Bajaj Holding, you have Bajaj Auto, Bajaj FinServe, I think uh, that the growth visibility is a bit murky and uh, there's no catalyst as such for the holding company discount to converge. So we would, uh, we would prefer Bajaj Finance over uh, holding company. Understood, thank you very much. And uh, with this, uh, thank you very much to everyone for attending and for sharing your questions. If you wish to uh, find more insights by uh, Ankit, you can follow his profile on Smart Karma uh, and that way you can get notified whenever he publishes a new report. Um, if you wish to reach out to uh, Ankit directly, you can uh, contact your Smart Karma account manager and we will uh, help you out in this regard. And if you have any other questions or comments, you can email us at research at smartgarma.com. Ankit, thank you very much for being with us once again and for being so generous with your time today. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Michael. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please share it with your networks. Subscribe to the podcast feed so you don't miss an episode and follow Smart Karma on your social media. We're Smart Karma everywhere. And of course... Don't forget to visit smartkarma.com for truly independent, differentiated investment research. As always, thank you very much for listening and see you next time.